No, it is the greatness of God that we celebrate, that we're reminded of every time that we gather. The, the greatness of God who can become human, God the Son, in order to visit the planet. And in so coming, to, to inaugurate, to begin the very kingdom of God in our midst, is then ultimately opposed and assassinated, killed on the cross. And the greatness of God is able to take that evil and make that the very salvation of all creation. The same greatness of God can take the splattering of blood of nine of our brothers and sisters gathered at a prayer meeting. And we believe can turn that into the very salvation of God's church. Don't know how. But that's why we gather because we believe God is that great. We're in the middle of a series where we're talking about being a brave church. That became really real this week. With the first police officer death in Cincinnati in 15 years, Officer Kim. Then the death of his killer, Mr. Hummins, all in front of Mr. Hummins' mother. And then the, the nine members of, of Emmanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina, gunned down in a prayer meeting. Yet bravery is taking on a whole new meaning. Being a brave church isn't just maybe a sort of pseudo-clever sermon title for a while. It's real. And one that that we espouse and want to live into every time that we gather. Because in the occasions of this week, we can be tempted to gather in fear. But a brave church gathers in faith. We, We can be tempted to gather in anger. But a brave church gathers in peace. We can be tempted by bitterness. But a brave church gathers in forgiveness. We can be tempted by violence. But a brave church gathers in patience, waiting upon the Lord. We can be tempted to give up. But a brave church gathers to persevere. We can be tempted to cast blame. But a brave church gathers in humility. We can be tempted by confusion and Paralysis, but a brave church gathers in wisdom to do justice. We can be attempted to obsess with death, but a brave church gathers in the power of the resurrection to eternal life in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yeah, we, we could be tempted by hatred. But a brave church gathers in love. A 
brave church knows that God Almighty has shown the way. And that way is that love wins. Love conquers all. A brave church gathers together with one another. Come on, let's encourage one another to love God, to love neighbor, and in love our enemies. For that is the good news that we live out. Because God has so loved us. It's our brothers and sisters at Emmanuel AME Church who lead us in being brave. For they, this, this week, uh, gathered in a courtroom and via video, they had opportunity to speak to the crazed, demonized boy who came in and gunned down their loved ones. And they lead the way to be brave in the midst of their deep grief, pain, and loss. And as they talked to him via video, they said to him, We love you. Now, what you did hurt. And with tears, they said, But we forgive you. And before him, they pleaded to God, saying, God, will you rescue this soul? And in the courtroom, said to him, the the one who killed their loved ones, please repent. Turn to Jesus. Know the forgiveness that is ours. Know that hate will not win. Know that love wins. That's a brave church. And they're leading us into bravery in the power of the cross and the resurrection. There is no other human explanation. And so they lead us as we worship God together. They lead us as we join with them in lament. Lament's a a forgotten psalm language. We don't use it very often, but about a third of the psalms are laments where we're crying out to God with Jesus and with others saying, God, what are you doing? Enough! So we we join not only with our brothers and sisters in, in lament in South Carolina, but we join with them around the country. I'm going to ask you to join in this call to worship and lament in a moment. And it was distributed by the Christian Community Development Association. Some of you are familiar with John Perkins, Dr. John Perkins. He's preached here once or twice. But it was distributed for churches throughout the nation to use together in solidarity with our brothers and sisters in South Carolina. And we've added just a few lines Uh, pertaining to our specific loss and lament here in Cincinnati. So as we we take this time of, of lament, time of confession, a time of celebrating God's goodness, I ask you to stand and join in this together.
You see, this part's the, the leader part. So that, that's the part that I'll say. And then the next screen or two will be the all part that we'll say um, together. So let's, uh, let's pray together with eyes opened. We stand before you today, O oh Lord, hearts broken, eyes weeping, heads spinning. Our brothers and sisters have died. They gathered and prayed and then were no more. The prayer-soaked walls of the church are spattered with blood. The enemy at the table turned on them in violence while they were turning to you in prayer. And one who sought to serve his community faithfully was shot by one who he came to protect. We grieve that an officer is down. We grieve all of these senseless deaths. We stand with our sisters. We stand with our brothers. We stand with their families. We stand to bear their burden in Jesus' name. We cry out to You, O Lord. Our hearts breaking, eyes weeping, heads spinning. The violence in our streets has come into Your house. The hatred in our cities has crept into Your sanctuary. The brokenness in our lives has broken into Your temple. The dividing wall of hostility has crushed our brothers and sisters. We cry out to You. May Your kingdom come. May it be on earth as it is in heaven. We cry out for our sisters. We cry out for our brothers we cry out for their families. We cry out for peace in Jesus' name. We pray to You today, O oh Lord, our hearts breaking, eyes weeping, souls stirring. We pray for our enemies. We pray for those who persecute us. We pray to the God of all comfort to comfort our brothers and sisters in their mourning. We pray that You would bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. We pray that You would give them the oil of joy instead of mourning. We pray that You would give them a garment of praise in place of a spirit of despair. We pray for our sisters. We pray for our brothers. We pray for their families. We pray for their comfort in Jesus' name. We declare together, O oh Lord, with hearts breaking, eyes weeping, and souls stirring. We will continue to stand and cry and weep with our brothers and sisters. We will continue to make a place of peace for even the enemies at our table. We will continue to open our doors and our hearts to those who enter them. We will continue to seek to forgive as we have been forgiven. We will continue to love in Jesus' name because You taught us that love conquers all. We declare our love for You, our sisters. We declare our love for You, our brothers. We declare our love for You, their families. We declare our love as one body, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. We declare they do not grieve alone today. Amen. Brothers and sisters in Christ, 
as we confess our sins unto God, as we join with those in solidarity and compassion who have been the victims of our sin. We proclaim and receive the grace of Jesus Christ that goes so far, that goes so far as to reach down and claim one who in cold blood in the church shot nine praying. That same grace that we know reaches out to him if he will receive it is the same grace that has rescued us. That's the same grace that has rescued us as we have done evil. As Jesus said, if you thought it in your head, you did it. If you hated another, you have murdered them. The same grace that forgives Him forgives us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Amen. Peace of Christ uh, to you all. Also, happy Father's Day to you, and thanks to the uh, Father's Day uh, choir that was up front, helping us in, in song. Well, it really is quite an interesting week, isn't it, to uh, already have scheduled be in the middle of a, a series on being a brave church. Robin, you're, you were surrounded and now you're all by yourself. Huh, okay. It's all right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Cedric. Way to go, Cedric. <laughs> she had all kinds of kids around her and they all went on. Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. Back uh, to the, where we are. Um. And, uh, you know, quite a week to be in the middle of a brave series and to have the topic be that as a brave church we're called in to pursuing intentionally and actively being a multicultural church. I mean, the, the, the shooting at Emmanuel Church demonstrates for us in very real ways, the level of bravery needed to oppose such a call of God and the opposition of the devil. We, we are venturing into what truly is some of the beauty of God's creation, of which... The evil one will take every opportunity to destroy. And I think also uh, the events have revealed to us the huge need that the church has to take the lead for the community at large. And how the church did this week take the lead in Charleston. 
in forgiveness and grace and mercy and truly being a multicultural, multiracial, multiethnic community. If anything, the events of this week have have demonstrated, reminded us, and reconfirmed once again that we have to keep talking about racism. We've got to keep talking about white supremacy and white privilege, our own history of uh, oppression and slavery and segregation and their impact that still lives today. Those evils have not gone away. That's obvious from this week, but not just this week, not just the nine martyrs in Charleston demonstrate uh, demonstrate that, but just even the last two years and a whole litany that our nation has seen of regularly racially charged killings and protests and riots and jokes and even fraternity songs on a bus. And they just keep coming. We can't deny it. And we must face it. On Thursday, as things were coming out of, of Charleston, it was, it was my day off. And I, I, was, I needed to be working on a class that I'm going to next week. I mean, I had assignments that needed to be completed. Interestingly enough, it's my uh, doctoral work in urban ministry in the week next week is about race and theology. So... Uh, but, but I couldn't focus. I mean, the first part of the morning, I just couldn't give to it because I just was troubled in my very soul and I just joined in lament. And I, just, I cried out to God, God, this is enough. That's enough killings. We get it. We see it. We surrender. Lead us. You know, make us whole. Make us the church that you've created us to be. For your glory, for the glory of the church, so that Jesus is made famous because your church does what Jesus has created us to do. Not because it's politically correct, or not because it's the the, the need of the moment. Those are not the reasons to do it, but do it because this is the way of eternity. That this is the way of heaven. This is the trajectory of Jesus. This is Jesus died for that. He died for a, a church that was multi-ethnic, multiracial, multicultural. He died for a church that was of every nation, tribe, and tongue gathered together at the cross. And he, he gave us a prayer, right? Where we say. Your will be done on earth like it is in heaven. And I don't think he gave us those words because they were pretty words. I don't think he gave us those words because they were a catchy phrase. He gave us those words because they're true and he wanted them to be true for us. And when we prayed it, that he wanted that to form us and be the desires of our heart. That yes, how things are in heaven, we want them on earth now. And we work towards that today. So your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Being a brave church, pursuing being a multicultural, multiracial, multiethnic church means that we're pursuing the ways of heaven. We're pursuing the ways of eternity. And we're, we're given clear pictures of that 
in the book of Revelation. As, as John, the Apostle John, is given a vision of what heaven looks like, given a vision that presents what, where we're headed, what our trajectory is, what we know we are about. And it's found on page 997 in your pew Bible, Revelation 5, and then we'll look at the section Revelation 7 as well. You can follow along on the screen or whatever form you have the Bible in. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Gracious God, we ask now that you would, you would clear our mind and heart, that, that you would help us to, to hear from you. you know, as, as we talk about race and, and murder and death, and, and as we're in a, a church building, that we've been shaken. How safe a place is this really, Lord? We, we, need to, we want to set those aside so that we might hear you. The anxiety that might come, the Fear, help us to put those aside. The defensiveness that we might have, or, or the guilt, or the anger. All of those things that the devil will use to prevent us from hearing you. The power of your Spirit, set those aside. So that we might hear your word. Open our mind, our heart, our soul. Open our hands and prepare our feet. To hear, receive, and do. Your good and perfect will. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Alright, in uh, Revelation uh, chapter 5, this is, we're right at the beginning sort of, the, um, uh, the, uh, of John's heavenly vision. It starts in verse 4 where he sees his heavenly vision is, is put in place. And, and just before we read this, he, he sees there's a scroll, a scroll that, that has the words of God in it. And, and the, the cry is, who is worthy to go unroll the scroll and, and to read what is in there? And the, there, there is no one. There is no one. Who is worthy to open the scroll? And that's when we pick up in verse 6. Then I saw between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders a lamb standing as if it had been slaughtered, having seven horns. And seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of the one who was seated on the throne. It is the slaughtered lamb who is worthy. Verse 8. When he taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. They sing a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slaughtered, and by your blood you ransomed for God saints from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests serving our God, and they will reign on the earth. Turn the page to chapter 7. As this vision continues, verse 9, through the end of the chapter. And after this, I looked, 
And there was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white, with palm branches in their hands. They cried out in a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God singing, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these, robed in white? And where have they come from? I said to him, Sir, you are the one that knows. Then he said to me, These are they who have come out of the great ordeal. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God and worship Him day and night within His temple. And the one who is seated on the throne will shelter them. They will hunger no more and thirst no more. The sun will not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. And He will guide them to springs of the water of life. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. This is the word that tells us what heaven looks like. Plain and simple. This is the word that tells us what eternity is all about. Where we are headed. That all people created in the image of God are welcome to come to the throne and be washed by the blood. Jesus died for people of every race, every nation, every tribe, and every tongue. And as John Piper says, it's when Jesus was on the cross, He saw the face of the church. And it was not one amalgamated face, but it was a bunch of faces that had all different kinds of colors and shapes and teeth and hair, or lack thereof, and every different kind of clothing that you can imagine. That's what He died for. And that's what He'll welcome back one day. And that's what we live into today. Well, if it's the way of heaven, it's the way of eternity. Why is it so hard? Why is this such a challenge? Why is this such a conundrum? Why has the church around the world and in many ways failed? It's difficult because our human weakness and sin always gravitates towards those that we're comfortable with. It always gravitates to those that are like us. always gravitates to those that we're we're used to. 
It's just our, our natural human weakness and, and, and brokenness. We, we tend to, to take care of our own and that we have that limited view and vision. You know, it was one of the first fights of the church. Actually, the first one. It's in Acts chapter 6. I mean, we, we weren't four chapters from Pentecost. You know, the, the, the Holy Spirit had come upon people from every nation that it listed there. You know, and for, went on for five lines of all the nations that had gathered. And the Spirit came upon each one and they spoke the languages of all that were gathered there. And it was a beautiful picture of heaven on earth in that moment. Then four chapters later, that first fight was ethnically based. It was about ours. Ours and theirs. Kinds of battles. You go and look in Acts chapter 6, you'll see that the issues were that the Jewish widows were getting more than the Greek widows. Or at least the Greek widows thought the Jewish widows were getting more. The truth is probably somewhere in between. But when the disciples found out, they said, that's wrong. That is not right. That shouldn't happen. There shouldn't be that kind of division. shouldn't be that kind of equality. Let's take care of that. And the deacons were born. I mean, it's hard. It's hard stuff. It happens right early on in the work of the church. And it's corrected. You see it also in Peter. Peter the apostle. Peter the one who's going to be the rock of the church, right? He is the one who denies Jesus to his face, but then experiences Jesus' forgiveness to his face at his resurrection, who's then filled with the Spirit. And he's the one that's been preaching in these last couple chapters, been preaching about the good news of Jesus and calling many to come. And thousands are saved under the words of Peter. Well, And this, this, one, this same Peter then, in Acts chapter 10 and 11, if you um, read into that, you know, he, he needed to be broken of his provincial little circles of who's in and who's out. And so God sent him a dream, a couple times even, to say, you know, you can now eat this kind of food. You can go be with these kind of people. It's not just the Israelites anymore, not just the Jews. Now the, the Gentiles are equal. They're, they the, the Land at the foot of the cross is level for all. So you've you got to change. You've got to enter into this. And, and Peter did have this interaction with Cornelius, who was a, a tanner. I mean, he, he, was a, he was a Gentile cubed. You know what I mean? He was born a Gentile. He, he worked with dead things and even had pigs, pig skins around. You know what I mean? He, he was triply to be opposed and run from. But then, Peter hears the Lord, and, and he testifies to the, to the church um, that, no, God, gee, the cross has torn down these walls. So we got to live into that. But even then, knowing that, having that experience, it was difficult for Peter. Because in Galatians chapter 2, Paul 
who's another one of the early disciples, has to correct Peter in front of everyone because he tells the story in Galatians 2. You can go back and read it, um, but if you don't believe me. Um, uh, but even if you don't believe me, even if you do believe me, go back and read it. Um, but Because what was happening was Peter was gathering with Jews and Gentiles. He was living it out, being a multicultural church. He was living that out right then. But then some more people came from Jerusalem. You know, who knows? Uh, maybe it was his grandfather or something, you know, and, uh, or maybe it was the cool kid from Jerusalem that, that came and, and he stopped eating with Gentiles and he just he gravitated back to the old habits he, he just started hanging out with the Jews again I mean this is Peter you know, he, you know, he's a foil for our sin all the way through isn't he now that knowing what it is, having experienced revival in Christ, I wish revival were just the only thing that had to happen. Now I'm all for revival. I'm all for Jesus coming in our midst, but that's still breaking us of our own old habits and sin. Man, that's a long journey in the same direction. And so Paul had to call Peter out and say, "Peter, you're denying the gospel." the very gospel that you're preaching and you've preached beautifully, the very gospel that has had thousands come to know Jesus, you're denying it in your life. To which Peter repented. Came back in line with the gospel. So there's human weakness that we see even in the greatest of biblical characters. This is difficult. It takes bravery because in our situation, in our own local situation here at CHPC and in the United States largely, it's hard because a lot of people don't like to talk about it. I mean, I've had plenty of people leave the church and tell me that they just don't think it's necessary for the church to intentionally really talk about race or ethnicity or um, reconciliation like this. Now, I will say this. There's also been people that have joined the church because of that. So, you know, share that word. You know, so that, that more might join. Because we need all the help we can get. Because this is hard. This takes bravery. You see, I know it, it sort of seems silly and light in comparison to the events of this last week. But as we enter into, as we break down the walls, that largely in the United States, the church has been segregated. Not actively so, but mostly passively so. In a sense, sort of silently complicit with the brokenness of our age. And so when we go against that grain, that just means when we, when we fight the, the evil of racism and in our history, it's just not going to be easy. It, it, it's going to get us out of our comfort zone. And it's going to mean that maybe we don't get everything we want. And what we may have to sacrifice at the cross are some of our dearly held preferences. And even some secondary convictions. 
Uh, it's a challenge. You know, it's, a, it's a hard work to say, all right, wait a minute, what are those convictions that aren't secondary? What are those things that we have to hold on to, we can't let go of? But what are those things that we love? We've been doing it ever since I was knee-high to a grasshopper and all the rest. But, you know, that just doesn't work when it comes to looking like heaven. It means we're going to have to sacrifice our preferences. But, you know, I think that's part of God's plan for leading churches into in, being multicultural. To help us become more and more like Jesus. Because Jesus shows us the way and the call of sacrificing our own preferences. This one I do want you to, to look at because I, I want to be sure you believe me on this one. In, in Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 3 through 5. It's on 954 if you want to to turn there. I think we also have it on screen. Philippians. I'm sorry. Did I say Ephesians? I meant Philippians. Thank you, Barry. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 through 5. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interest, but to the interest of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. See here, following after Jesus means that my preferences take at least third place. There's God, and then there's yours, and then there's mine. And the good thing is, that means the same for you. That your preferences have to first submit to God and then submit to the people around you. The left, the right, behind you, in front of you. People in this service and in the other service. That's what it means to follow after, after Jesus. Now, I, I don't know what those preferences are that, that God's going to cause you to sacrifice at the cross. But I know that He's going to do it. Because I know that God loves you and He loves me and He wants nothing more than anything else but for you and for me to be more and more like Jesus. He, he wants us to receive His blessings. And, and so and the way to do that is for us to become more and more humble. It, it, it's for us to learn to relinquish more and more our own desires, preferences for the preferences of another. That, that, that is God's project in us. And so this, this whole journey of being multicultural, yeah, maybe it has impact on the world. Maybe it'll help save the community. But more importantly than that, it's going to work to save the church. That's God's work in us. So that's, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty tied to some of my preferences. And I've been fighting for 52 years sort of hold on to those slyly now. You know, I don't do it blatantly anymore. I mean, I'm a pastor. But I can hold on to them slyly, sort of behind my back. And sometimes I don't even know that I have them until things happen. And then I reveal that both through anger or hatred or just frustration, I see my own. But that's what God is doing in me and in you and in us to make us more and more like Jesus. I mean, in a way, yeah, I'm not going to get my way, you're not going to get your way, but what is the best is we're going to get Jesus' way. 
You know, we also have history um, working against us. You know, it, we, we have not in the church in the United States done this well. And you, we only have to look at history. I mean, the very fact that there, it was Emmanuel AME Church in Charleston. You know what AME stands for? African Methodist Episcopal. And it was born after the Civil War. It was born in a time when uh, blacks were allowed to come into the Methodist church. But well, you got to sit in these seats or you got to stay in that place. You certainly can't stand up here. And so eventually they said, you know, we want to speak. We want to be truly considered equals. And so AME and AME Zion and a whole bunch of other denominations were formed. Uh, the, you see it in the Assemblies of God and the Church of God in Christ. You see that C-O-G-I-C, Kojic. See that church? And the Assembly of God Church, Assembly of God's largely whites, Kojic's largely black. They were born on the same day in the Azusa Street um, uh, revival in the early 1900s. And for a few years, that, that, that Pentecostal re- revival was a picture of heaven. I mean, it, it was multicultural. And it was, it was a beautiful gathering of God. But it took a few years before the issues of race and ethnicity and the divisions of the day invaded the church and caused it to split along racial lines. Now, in the, in the Presbyterian Church, well, particularly one thing, we, we don't have many African Americans in our history and in our churches. Um, and e- even in our history, some of that's because of our, our history. Even, even Jonathan Edwards, one of the great Reformed scholars, he owned slaves. Now, so so that, that, that sin of the world, I mean, it, it creeps in in ways that we can be blind to and not see. And it takes something like the massacre, to wake us up to say, hmm, how else does that evil infiltrate us? But in, in the Presbyterian church, and even more modern day, I mean, Edwards was um, uh, older in the States, but modern day African American uh, ministry in the Presbyterian church has largely been separate but equal. Uh, Separate, uh, not equal, but but separate. So, you know, and even right here, you know, here we are traditionally white church on the hill. And if you just go right down into the valley, right next to the housing projects, there's a black Presbyterian church. Now, nobody set out to do that nobody set out with a plan to do that but a church that is blind to the ways of the world and the evil around us can easily just fall into those kind of decisions and ultimately it's not just human weakness not just our own um, um, brokenness and an attachment to our own desires and the way that we've always had it or even um, the historical impacts um, today but just recognize and know that evil has a stronghold in our country around race like I said before a lot of people just want to ignore it uh, black and white people have said, you know, can't we just, let's just follow Jesus. Let's read the Bible. Let's just pray. And then this will take care of itself. Is there any other sin that we say that about? 
Yeah, I don't say that about addiction. I don't say, well, if you just pray and read the Bible, then woo, it'll go away. I've, I've seen that happen on two occasions. But on hundreds of occasions, that's not how God chooses to do it. I know in my life, I wish it were just prayer and Bible study and the sin in my life would go away. I, I wish the arrogance would just go away because I prayed for it. I, I, I wish the lust would go away simply because I prayed for it. Folks are struggling with pornography. I don't say, well, just go pray, Bible study, and everything, it'll go away. Say, no. Nothing else really do we do that with. We've got to say, no, this is an evil that the devil uses at every turn. To tarnish the name of Jesus. And mostly in covert, hidden ways. But obvious also. I mean, the the history that just highlighted a few things doesn't just go away. It still has implications today. And the devil loves it and feeds it and uses it in any way that he can to disrupt and destroy the unity of God's church. So yeah, it's going to take bravery. It's going to take an intentional entering into the brokenness and continue to do that. And, and like the besetting sin that you have, the besetting sin that I have, this will be the besetting sin that we will have to continue to face and address year after year, decade after decade, as we are living for that day that Jesus returns and then the scroll is completely released and people of every nation, tribe, and tongue are gathered at His feet together. We, we brothers and sisters, will be brave We will continue to pursue the way of heaven. We will continue to pursue to be a multicultural church so that God may be blessed, so that His name may be blessed, so that the name of Jesus is proclaimed. The power of the Holy Spirit is seen in our midst. A brave church is one that pursues God's plan. And we're really, we're really a foolish church if we don't. So with expectation, with excitement, with the, the armor of God on, we go forward in battle to be a brave, multicultural church for the glory of God. Amen.